Hello and welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. I'm your host, Philip Kim, also known as the Tennis Pro at the Langham Huntington Hotel and Spa in Pasadena, California. And this is my beautiful co-host, Valerie Garcia. Hey, everyone. Uh, Philip, aren't you also the director of tennis for the city of Azusa? You know, I am. I'm always trying to overachieve. (laughs) (laughs) So humble. He doesn't want to give all his accolades, but he is Mr. Tennis. You know, in the city of Azusa, we just had a wonderful Yonix demo day. So shout out to Yonix. Thank you guys for coming out. It was so great. We had a ton of tennis players come out and try all different kinds of Yonix rackets. And that was really fun. And our really good friend, Julian, who is on our past episode as a stringer, came out and gave stringing advice and told some really great stories so that was super fun. Awesome. Yeah. How are you doing, Valerie? Doing pretty good. It's the fourth day of the month, which is always my favorite. Wow. Actually, this is May the 4th. Be with you. Yes. Wow. May the 4th for you Star Wars fans out there. <laughs> super great. Well, we're here to talk about tennis, uh, and I can't wait to get into it because we have so much tennis news to talk about, Valerie. Yes. A lot of exciting stuff happening. There is. We're going to do a recap on all of the news from all of the tournaments. We haven't actually talked since Australian Open, Val. Yeah, that's sad. Well, we haven't talked, I guess, with the world. We've talked together, and we even uh, went to Indian Wells together and all that fun stuff. That was so fun. Indian Wells was awesome. It was. Actually, you have some live recording. Maybe you could throw it on somewhere at the end of this podcast. Yeah, that would, <laughs> that would be fun as and, uh, a bonus. People, yeah, people, if you want to like hear about it, you can just stick around after the credits. <laughs> B-roll. Yeah. That would be fun. Well, let's get into the results for all of the wonderful tournaments that have been happening since then. And we're not going to go all the way back to January, of course, but I guess we can start with Indian Wells since we're on that subject. Yeah, and it's the best tournament in the world. Right. Um, easy for me to say. It's our backyard tournament, and it's... Uh, the fifth slam, well, unless you ask people in Miami, they would say that they have the fifth slam. However, uh, Indian Wells was pretty cool. It was it was nice. There was some shocking things like Djokovic losing to Cole Schreiber. What? <laughs> Who saw that coming? What a great day for Philip, though, right? He's yeah. my I, he's my twin, my namesake. Yes, and I, he must have been elated to have been able to beat world number one. For sure. And actually, I think I remember texting with you and I was like, I'm not going to watch the match because I thought like there's no way in hell. Right. This is like a gimme. Yeah. I was like, I don't I'll watch a more competitive match later. Right. And then I saw the news and I was like, oh, man, I I really was wrong. This is like a classic. (laughs) Djokovic always has an easy draw. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or something along those lines. And then he loses. Yeah, wow. and, and honestly, I just really, you know, Philip Kohlschreiber, what a, almost like a journeyman or just such a tried and true, like, 16-rounder, like, consistently. Yeah. Um, But I still just really didn't think that he possessed the weapons, right? right? He, like, everything that he can do, Djokovic can do better. Right. So, um, and I, I really just didn't think mentally that he would have the capacity to believe he could beat Djokovic yeah, either. He's, he's always been a little bit on the outside, right? Yeah. Even it, even though he has a beautiful one-handed backhand, he was not invited into the backhand boys club. Yeah. 
with all of those guys that sang that song <laughs> with Fetter and Dimitrov. Dimitrov. Yeah. Who was the third? Haas. Oh, Tom, Mr. Tommy. Tommy Haas. Yes. That was my try at German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but Phil Kohlschreiber, what a day, what a moment. And he did not back it up. Yeah, of course. But still, I mean, to take out world number one, just, you know, for the rest of your life to be able to say that, it was just incredible. It's true. But Indian Wells in general was a really great tournament, except for, in my opinion, the results. I was really hoping that Roger was going to win. Me too. And uh, couldn't pull it through. Unfortunately. Um, didn't, I've, I'm trying to remember Osaka being a letdown at that tournament as well. Right. And I was really wanting to see her, and I think she lost before we went. Or she wasn't playing on the day we went, and then she lost. So I couldn't go back to see her because I really wanted to watch her play. But Is that the one she lost to Sue Shea Uh No, actually, Daniel Collins. Is that the one she lost to Daniel Collins? <laughs> yeah, that is. Great memory, Philip. Kudos to uh, Bianca Andreescu from Canada, up-and-comer for winning Indian Wells. She was so fun to watch. She was on that hot streak for a while. Um, I don't. I haven't heard her name recently, so I think her hot streak maybe has just sizzled down. However, uh, beating Kerber in the final, and that was back to back because she beat her a couple weeks prior to that too. Didn't Kerber had the meltdown at the net, and when and when she shook her hand, she said something like "drama queen," yeah. biggest drama queen ever, right? Exactly. Um, anywho, that wasn't very Kerber esque. Usually, she's a little bit um, more composed than that, but. Yeah, who knows what was happening behind the scenes. But how great for Andrescu to... Am I saying that right? I think so. How great for Andrescu to be uh, one of the highest-ranked teenagers in the WTA Tour. I think her, besides uh, Yastremska, also is a teenager still. And Vondrasova. All of those are really hot right now, and it's really fun to watch them. On the men's side, the champion was uh, my up-and-come, a, a person I really appreciate watching in the next gen. Well, he's probably technically not next gen, but Mr. Team, he won Indian Wells, right? And he nobody, beat our Roger. He beat our Roger, and nobody thought that he would. I mean, obviously he was on form because he was playing so great he got to the final, but no one says that hardcourt is his surface, so it's really shocking that he was able to take out Federer, who's such a hardcourt king. And he, Federer was playing really well. He started off that match, if I remember. Yeah. This is over a month ago, and yeah. I'm old, so my, my thoughts, they dissipate quickly. But um, I remember feeling really confident, like Roger was looking good, and then all of a sudden, you know, team just made a comeback. But if there's anyone Roger's going to lose to, I'm okay with team. He has a beautiful one-handed backhand. He's a beautiful game. Seems like a good guy. And I think it really put the fire under um, Federer's feet to make sure that something like this didn't happen in Miami because, wow, how triumphant was Roger at Miami. Oh, that was awesome. I mean, to make the final – well, first of all, getting the Golden Slam like two years ago or whenever that was, and then he did really well last year too, and then final and then champion this year, That's those are good results. Right, not the Golden Slam though. I'm sorry, I did, did I say the Golden Slam? I <laughs> yeah. meant the Sunshine Double. double. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it is very golden out oh, here. Oh, gosh. You know, Golden Slam, the one thing Roger actually doesn't have. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. He couldn't get that damn Olympic medal in singles. 
Yeah, but he sure did get his trophy in Miami. He did incredibly well. And uh, surprisingly, that was the time also that Djokovic lost again in Miami. Yeah, early. Well, early for Joke is like before the semis, right? Right. <laughs> and no disrespect at all to Roberto Batista Gut because he is such an incredible player. Uh, obviously, someone who can take anyone out on a given day. He's just... Um, can be in, very informed and get everything back, and he's really fun to watch. But, uh, you know, kind of surprising that he could take out the world number one. So that was two losses in a row for Novak Djokovic. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. That was, to me, that was just as shocking as Cole Schreiber. I just thought mentally Djokovic would find a way and mentally uh, Roberto would find a way to lose. Yeah, I think that was in the third round. So if he had gone on, Djokovic would have played Isner, but Isner was really in form as well and went on to just win a ton of tie breaks. That was kind of amazing. He's like the tie break king, no doubt, right? Yeah, I think you said he uh, he went the whole tournament and won every match. Like every set he played was a tie break yeah. until the final. <laughs> Roger was like the only one who broke him, basically. That's right, yeah. And it was a testament to Roger's ability to return serve because, I mean, this is John Isner. This is, you know, one of the if not the greatest server in the game, and Roger was able to easily break him, at least in the first set. And the second set obviously had the injury, which he he didn't retire from, but uh, he did have to retire from future tournaments because of that. So Yes, and you could tell his his movement was impaired. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, a server can pull that out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because all you got to do is hold, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's hard for a person who's playing someone who's injured. A lot of times, mentally, they can let the match go. And I read a stat somewhere. Roger hadn't won Miami for like 10 years straight or something, so it was kind of an unusual win for him to have won Miami. At some point, I thought they slowed the court down a ton, mm. and that's when he stopped winning. Probably so. Because they, they have a tendency to... They've slowed down a lot of the hard courts. Right. I guess during Miami was... Uh, Nadal didn't play... He was recovering during that time? Oh, yes. He wanted to be fresh for the clay court, right? Sure. And on the women's side, Ash Barty took the trophy. That's a nice, fresh name. I mean, taking major trophies like that. Not a major, literally, but significant trophies like this. I think it was a breakthrough because you you always felt like she got to the semifinals or the finals and then maybe had a struggle with actually closing it out and uh, feel like it was a big grown-up win for her, you know? Yes, for sure. So. Although I think she beat your girl Pliskova, so yeah, I'm sure you weren't that happy about that. But I really wanted Pliskova to win that. I felt, but I think she's been struggling just a little bit in form. Um, making it to the final is great, but uh, since then has been struggling. Well, what happened after Miami? What did happen after Miami, Philip? Mm, I we think we had, had we had Charleston, the women. Now, am I mistaken? Is Charleston on green clay? I think it is. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure. I always have that memory because when I played on green clay once, <laughs> I I had that tournament in my mind. And uh, our our homebred Madison Keys whooped some butt that tourney. Yeah, it was so nice to have Madison win again, return back to her winning ways. I mean, don't you feel like she is the you know embodiment of potential on the WT? Yes, she is. I actually thought like Sloan is, has so much potential as well. And I remember recently just watching a match of hers and 
I think there's a there's a disconnect in um, the amount of seriousness. She, I just feel like she doesn't put in the work the Hard. way I want her to. Right. right. She puts right. in way more work than I. Who the hell am I to talk? <laughs> I don't mean it like that. Sloan, I love you. Um, <laughs> and you work really hard, I'm sure. In my mind, I want her to be so dedicated like a Djokovic where like they revolve their whole entire life and they make dietary changes, lifestyle changes to become like to really, really focus in on achieving that great status. Yeah. And I feel like Sloan had has the potential if she was that fully dedicated that she could be really, really great. Yeah. But I think you can say that about so many other WTA players. I mean, we're talking about Madison Keys, who it was great that she won and that she won on clay, which is kind of amazing because you think of her as just like a hitting through person rather than I can defend, I can defend, which, you know, clay is. I don't know how much different green clay is compared to red clay, but I imagine it's just a lot slower. And so for her to win on a slow surface like that is pretty exciting. Yes, for sure. For sure. I always think of Madison as like a Sharapova type of player. Yes. Um, Where there's that potential to like streak and win slams, but... I feel like uh, the reason I always revert back to Sloan in my head as just being the better all better overall player is having more overall depth and mm. and variety. Mm. Um, however, they both are awesome. I'm so proud that they both play for the United States and and do us proud. Yeah, I love how great Sloan is at defending and. You know, with a Madison talent, you're on or you're off, right? And she's just hitting winners left and right, and then sometimes she's on and sometimes she's off. Sloan, you feel like she should be able to defend all day long. It looks so easy for her to get to those balls and then hit with power. And she's not hitting as hard as Madison, of course, but, I mean, usually a defender should be able to win in that in that situation And as long as you're able to get one more ball back, right? Yeah, you'd think. You think. So that was Charleston after Charleston. Well, after the green clay, I guess we really move into the red clay. So of the major tournaments, we're talking about Monte Carlo now. And Monte Carlo was pretty exciting. I thought it was a very exciting tournament because there were so many changes, so many upsets. And uh, I thought it made it really fun to watch. I agree. Again, who went out early? (laughs) Mr. Nadal. And actually, that wasn't an again, though. That was a first. Who again went out early oh, was gotcha. the other one. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Number one. Yes. World to Medvedev. One. Yes. Second loss in a row. That was kind of crazy. Medvedev, of course, on a on a terror. I mean, he has been winning and winning and winning. He's making winning a habit. He's so looking real good. He is. He. I mean, he was looking great. Uh, so it was really exciting for him to, I'm sure, have that Huge win over Djokovic, but it also makes you wonder what's what's going on with Djokovic for him to lose to Kolschreiber first and then Medvedev. And but Bautista before as well. So he, three tournaments in a row, all Masters 1000s. Yeah, kind of strange. It is. It is. And then actually Djokovic lost first, and then I thought, oh, well, there you can just write Nadal into the trophy. Like the day that Djokovic lost, I think we were texting. Yeah. And I said, just give Nadal the trophy. Just give it to him. And the next yeah. day, what happens? yeah huge 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 upset but so satisfying in a way right because uh you just really felt like fabio was super in form and when he is on fire he can hit that ball so early and so with so much pace it's just stunning 
It was incredible. And some of his backhand down the lines were like, were crazy. Right. And his touch uh, at the net and his craftiness. I mean, obviously his uh, playing doubles with Novak, I guess, at uh, Indian Wells paid off because, boy, he just had some amazing shots, uh, uh, drop shots, moving the ball around, getting the ball back. And to be able to beat Nadal anywhere on clay is huge feat because Nadal can get anything back uh, on that slow of a surface, right? That is true. And more impressive than just beating Nadal is the fact that he was up five love in the (laughs) second second set. set. (laughs) And actually, I was with our Nadal fan favorite reporter, Nicholas, watching that match that morning. Wow. And uh, we were like in shock. We could not believe what our eyes were seeing. And um, what's, what's so cool about Nadal is that we literally, we, we thought, like, there's no way he's going to lose. He's down five love, like 40-15, right, or something. <laughs> and we're thinking, this isn't over, right? right? If anyone can come back. right? And I'm sure Fanini was thinking the same damn thing, right? right. And then Nadal wins two, two of the next games. He breaks him because he couldn't close it out, and then he held serve. And then Fanini, when he served for it the second time, he was able to close it out 6-2 in the second, which is... Which is cool, I mean, because the momentum was swinging big time. So yeah. for him to be able to gather himself and then close it out that second time, I mean, that takes a lot. It does. I mean, when you're playing Nadal on clay, you got to really, really have something special. Yeah, insane confidence in yourself. Yeah. But he, he, sh- he deserved to have that kind of confidence because he had been hitting so well throughout the tournament. I think he almost lost the first round and then... Uh, I think he was down and he served an ace and the crowd went wild. You know, in my head, I just saw the peacock feathers (laughs) (laughs) and just, you know, him puffing his chest and saying, you know, I'm here. I'm, I've arrived. The crowd is behind me. And I feel like for Fabio, the crowd is everything. Yes, for sure. And they were so behind him. I think there's so many Italians in Monte Carlo. Yeah, it did. It did kind of seem like he had a home court advantage there. Very much so. Yeah, even over Nadal, which is kind of amazing. I think people really wanted Fabio to win. It was exciting. Yeah, I mean, you're witnessing history. Yeah. But your point is really well taken. I mean, even at five love, you just feel like Nadal can come back. And it really isn't over until Nadal shakes your hand, you know? Yeah, and I think even once Nadal got those next two games, man, even like everyone's thinking, like, this is just going to be one of those... Epic stories we're all going to be talking about right. how Nadal came back from 5-love, 40-15, or yeah. you know, whatever the score was. That's yeah. what my brain's telling me. Did you feel like something was hampering Nadal when he was playing? To be honest, I actually did. Um, I, did I felt like he wasn't um, emotionally as pumped up as he normally is. Uh, and not to jump too far ahead, but uh, in Barcelona when Nadal played and lost, shockingly again, Wow! I actually f- saw him, his... I didn't feel like he was hampered in that tournament. I, he was a, there was a lot of fist pumping and trying to get himself into it. But in Monte Carlo, I was like, what, what is going on? Like, is he, is he hurt? There's something off. Yeah. Well, let's jump into Barcelona because you had brought it up and just kind of crazy that Nadal lost again in Barcelona on clay. It just feels like there's something wrong. He's struggling. 
Um, I think I heard him in an interview talk about it's not one specific injury, but just kind of a combination of things that he's struggling with, which to me also means confidence because I know that he is such a confidence player. He'll be out there practicing and hitting as hard as he can in practice to feel like he has the confidence to win the match. And I do feel like his confidence is down right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm definitely, I can't wait um, for the upcoming tournaments to see like what's going to happen because honestly I'm sure 98% of the tennis world thought he'd already be holding two trophies by now yeah. for the clay season and is this the rise of Dominic team because uh, here he beats Federer at Indian Wells and he beats Nadal at Barcelona two of the greatest of all time yeah how exciting for a team and and they've been talking about Dominic as being the next Nadal on clay. He, he definitely has an incredible clay court game. So it makes you wonder what's going to happen at the French. Yeah, I mean, he did really well against Nadal in the French. Was it last year? Yeah, very um, close. And this, this can only give him confidence. What's even more astonishing is that team was able to beat Nadal in a semifinal at Barcelona. And I, I'm pretty sure that they said... Nadal was undefeated in semifinals in Barcelona. Wow. His only loss, he had lost there one time only in his career, like early, early on, and it was before the semifinals. But once he started winning the tournament, he just always was winning the tournament. Yeah. And I that's mean, same, his home backyard. Same for Monte Carlo. I mean, he owns Monte Carlo. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. So kind of crazy. Speaking of Monte Carlo, it just reminded me also that Djokovic, I think after the Sunshine swing he he said uh i'm not gonna play monte carlo i'm tired and uh <laughs> i thought it was so interesting because i think as a resident of monte carlo he actually is obligated to play there i think well monte residency. carlo is uh masters 1000 i thought that was a mandatory event for all players mm. and you pay a fine if you don't go and i think didn't we say Djokovic lost to Medvedev at Monte Carlo, so he did end up playing. Yeah, he did end up playing, and I don't know if but that was because of residency or, or other things, but you know, it just felt like he didn't even want to play before the clay season. So maybe his mentality, I think that says something, that his mentality just really wasn't into, like, I'm going to win this tournament. Yeah, I, I wonder what his mentality is, because he's too. kind of been really not that same Djokovic we, we've come to expect since since winning the Australian Open. And yet everyone thought after winning the Australian Open that he would, you know, take it. He's back, right? You know what? I i don't know why this... We've talked about this a few times, and all of a sudden, for the first time, this just popped in my head, is if he's really trying to lighten up the pressure before the French Open and the expectation. And think of how much he's struggling the past two, three months. When we go into the French Open... No one's going to be taking him as seriously as we were three months ago. Everyone's thinking, is he going to win another career slam? Or So, you know, maybe this is his way of taking the pressure off himself. Could be. I, I don't know. I feel like there's more pressure on him if he keeps losing and then everybody's <laughs> saying, come on, you know, do you even have a chance for it now? You yeah. Know? I don't know. Maybe he wants to be the underdog. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I think he wants to be the man on top. I, I agree. I'm I just trying to make sense of why he's not producing. I mean, I'm not complaining as a Roger fan. There's plenty of records. I don't need him running to catch up to. Right. <laughs> but um, 
I think I read in a story too that his coach Marion Vider was waiting for him in Monte Carlo while he was out on the beach somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> and Djokovic didn't show up uh, when he was supposed to. So I thought that was another telling sign. He's his mind is somewhere else, maybe. It's possible. I mean, sometimes life beckons. I can't imagine being on tour and playing this much. It's just insane. It's true. I mean, these people dedicate every waking hour of their lives to this as a profession. And right. uh, sometimes when I think, oh, my God, I worked 55 hours this week. I'm s- <laughs> I work so much, you know. And then, you know, you look at these these professional athletes that dedicate years and years and years. And with tennis, there's no off season. So let's pick up at Stuttgart. What happened in Stuttgart after Monte Carlo and Barcelona? Stuttgart. That's uh, Miss Kvitova finally lifting the trophy, huh? Yeah, that was pretty exciting for her. And what a comeback she's had ever since her injury. Yes. I never was against her, but I never was like a big fan. Mm. But ever since that injury, I'm just like so behind her. It's, right. It's really hard to not root for her now. I loved watching uh, Kvitova and Osaka. I feel like those two can slug it out and... Those are incredible matches, so I can't wait for the next one to be Kvitova Osaka. But this final was uh, Kondovit, I believe. Yes, you believe correctly. I was waiting for you to say it because I don't know how to say that girl's name. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think it, is it Annette? Annette Kondovit? I, I just know like her last name, and I yeah. never have attempted to say it because yeah. I just don't hear it enough to try to replicate. <laughs> yeah, so that's a huge win for her, and I saw it on Twitter. She was holding the trophy. Beautiful, beautiful. She looks great. She really has lost a lot of weight. I feel like she's super fit right now. Yeah, she does. She does look like she's flying around the court. And that was a red clay event. So it's just cool to see her winning hardcore and and hardcore. <laughs> it's good to see her winning hardcore and red clay events. Right. And we want to talk about Budapest, even though this is a small tournament, because you had brought up uh, someone that caught your eye. Yeah, actually, um, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but Matteo Berrettini, uh, he has been a little bit on a hot streak, kind of like we were talking about. Um, we were talking about Medvedev, right? Yeah. And uh, this this gentleman as well has been playing pretty well. He's he's uh, he's young, 23, and um, very attractive young man. I feel like there's some curb appeal there. He could probably hey uh, he could probably really. Uh, Get that fan base going. If he just has a couple <laughs> good runs, he'll be like the next Dimitrov or something, you know. Um, but yeah, he had some notable, no, some notable um, tournament wins. That's great, and for him to be able to take on uh, the Hungarian Open and win that as probably his second ATP title, that's pretty cool. It is cool. Yeah, and he beat um, Philip. Krajanovic, which is a great win because Krajanovic, again, is another really strong player. I think he was expected to win Krajanovic. So this kid, Mateo, is continuing his streak. He's going to play in a semifinal tomorrow against Roberto. Batista Agu. Right? Wow. That's who he's playing, RBA. I believe. I'm not really following this tournament. I'm literally just kind of peeking in on it because I, I am interested in this kid and, you know, how he's going to develop. Well, it's fun to have those people who you are excited about. You know, you just kind of follow a little bit and watch along. 
obviously we're huge uh, fans of some of the greats, but it's always fun to have kind of up and coming players that you like to watch as well. Yes, for sure. It's uh, it's like Roger has kind of spoiled me in a sense that it's very hard for me to, I, I just lose faith in people so fast. I'm <laughs> like, I get all excited and when like, they're going to be great. And then when they, they're not, I get really frustrated, but uh, I do hope that this guy can keep it up. It is actually um, the BMW Open that he's playing in Munich. So he'll be in the semifinal tomorrow, and whoever wins the semifinal has to turn around and play the final like a couple hours later, which oh, is crazy. Wow. But yeah, so that's kudos to him, a nice up-and-comer. Yeah, I can't believe how much these guys push their bodies. It's incredible. But I guess that's what they train for. Yeah, it Pretty is. exciting. Yeah, I think it's fun to have those kind of few people that you love to watch. And for me, I have a couple of favorites. I love Wang Jiang, who is Chinese number one. So I love watching her play. Uh, she's a great counterpuncher. Uh, there was an epic fight for her and Sabalenka in China where she won. And she was not expected to win. Sabalenka was on a, a, a terror, and she was just beating everyone. And uh, she got stopped by her by Wang Jiang and the crowd of course in China was just going crazy so I was just super excited for these Chinese fans to have their hometown player win so strong so she's a lot of fun to watch I also enjoy watching Mackie McDonald I've talked to oh, you about yes, that yes. from UCLA actually every time I see him playing I'm thinking of you and I'm like come on <laughs> he's got a great all-court game yeah so he's a lot of fun to watch I don't expect him to become world number one tomorrow but he really is uh, a great player, and I enjoy that. And, yeah, it's fun to have those kind of up-and-coming players that we get to watch. And, and just like what we do with our fan reports that are coming up next, we have people who are super excited, like Crystal about Sitsipas, you know, and yes. uh, Tanya, of course, about Djokovic. But, you know, it's, it's fun to find people who are following uh, players that maybe aren't in the top five but really, really get behind them. Yes, because there's so many players and there's so many awesome personalities. And they really, I mean, the depth of the game is really there. Even though, of course, they have a, the top four, big three now, kind of have a stranglehold on everything. There are those, I mean, we're seeing it now, like Roberto beating Djokovic and, you know, Nadal losing to Fonini. Like there is parody in the sport and, you know, it's just any given day. Yeah. You never know because these people, like at their talent level, even the rank 100 ranked player still has all those same skills they just really the consistency is just kind of the difference um so it's great to see these people getting these chances yeah making these runs especially the younger players like a medvedev who beats Djokovic. i mean that's huge or theme although theme is kind of the next generation uh, but a little bit older to see him actually coming into fruition is really exciting so who is the next wave? That's always the big question. Yes, and that's what makes it so exciting. Is like, uh, what are we going to be left with when the big three are out? Yeah. Right? Who's going to step up? And how about on the women's side? I think they've said now that they've had 17 different champions oh, in a this, row. Yeah, this year there's been a different <laughs> champion like every tournament. Which is stunning and just shows you the depth of field and how uh, I really feel like, and I've been saying it in these last podcasts, that women's tennis, the the level just keeps going up and up. It started with Serena. Uh, she just changed the game to become a power game. And now you see all these incredible players, uh, Annie Asimova, who just hit the snot out of the ball. Yeah. 
She's fun to watch too. Another up and comer. Osaka, Yastremska, really, really know how to use that power. It's incredible. Yeah, and uh, speaking of up and comers, isn't there's a 19 year old, the other top three 19 year olds that you were telling me about earlier today, the one that took uh, Sharapova's place in the draw. I don't remember her name. Yeah, 19 year old Marketa Vondrasova. Um, she made her top 40 uh, debut on last Monday after reaching the final for Istanbul. So that's pretty exciting. She was born in 1999. Wow, I'm old. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's and the Czech Republic is strong right now in their women's representation. Imagine when she catches fire, their their uh, Fed Cup team is going to probably go on it. Another terror. Yeah, that would be that's going to be pretty exciting. Well, speaking of uh, Istanbul, you talked about Sharapova. We should probably talk about some of these kind of epic withdrawals because I don't know if um, this is a normal part of the season, but it sure seems like there are a lot of injury withdrawals that are happening right now. I think for me, I just feel like um, the withdrawals usually come later during the hard court swing. Yeah. Like the, the U.S. hard court swing right before the U.S. Open. I feel like this is somewhat early for people to be withdrawing before the clay season. Yeah. But maybe my memory is out of touch, you know? I don't know. I'm hoping that Jordan is going to do a Maria Sharapova report soon. Um, not sure if he's going to have time, but uh, it was very sad to see her withdraw from the Italian Open because I guess she's still recovering from a right shoulder injury. You know, I just miss her. She's been years without her in the game. She finally came back from suspension, and then she's just been battling injuries like left and right. Yeah. Yeah, five-time Grand Slam champion, Sharapova, and and she was so popular that she really helped the game of tennis. So I think we miss her because of that. Yeah, I think she's the highest-paid female athlete in the world, which is something you don't get if you're not popular. Hope she gets well soon. We are definitely missing her, uh, missing her in Rome, and really kind of puts doubts about the French Open and where she's going to be. And kind of, I guess... You have to ask the question, you know, she's really getting on in age. Is is it too late for her? Has the game passed her by? Because these new young players are just, you know, before it used to be Serena and Maria that hit the hardest on the tour. And I kind of feel like all of the players now yeah. hit that yeah. hard or harder. Mm -hmm. And yeah, where is sure. Sharapova's game is the question. It's true, and the shoulder is, is a tough one. I mean, when she literally came back from the first rotator cuff surgery, they had already, you know, I think she won, she won a slam after that, and that was amazing in itself, a feat that nobody probably thought possible because that kind of surgery, I don't think anyone really historically has ever come back so successfully as her. And then, of course, the doping thing kind of just derailed everything, and now it seems like her shoulder just is not there. Well, and you've got to think she is so successful as a businesswoman with... Um, Sugar Pova. Sugar Pova. And, uh, you know, she also does Super Goop, the, the sunscreen stuff. I think she just announced chocolate also for Sugar Pova. So, I mean, so much is going on with her. She's making a ton of money. You know, there, does she have the motivation to keep coming back and winning or coming back and losing? Yeah. It's a tough call. We'll see, I guess. Kevin Anderson is out, also with another injury. Uh, he tweeted out that uh, he was going to be missing uh, Estrell, Madrid, Rome, Roland Garros all the way through the clay oh, season. Oh, man. Well, I guess, you know, for his type of tennis, it's he. It's like Nadal 
saying I'm missing the rest of the hardcore because I want to be ready for clay. <laughs> Kevin Anderson is like, I need to be ready for grass and hardcore, right? Yeah. I, I would probably do the same thing if I was him. Yeah, and he's a big, big server, so an elbow injury for him is, uh, that's crucial, right? Yeah. I mean, that's 80% of his game is how big his serve is. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll miss him as well. I hope that he gets well very soon. And who uh, else do we have Well, out? speaking of big servers, John Isner withdrew from Madrid, and he said, and it was kind of obvious, right? I mean, he was obviously very injured in the final with Roger. Oh, yeah, the foot thing. Semi-fracture or? I think so, yeah. Does not sound like something fun to play with. Even yeah. when my feet are just sore from, like, standing for two hours, I don't want to run around. <laughs> yeah, and also kind of big news for him, not only is he injured, but his wife is actually, they actually announced that uh, he's going to become parents in September when his daughter Hunter Grace is born. That's a beautiful name. Oh, that is exciting. You know, what's weird is I hadn't thought about that until you brought it up and I could have sworn they had a gender reveal something. Mm. I saw like I got a a message on YouTube saying like I don't know that him and his wife did some sort of gender reveal and I saw the I saw the video. I didn't watch it, but I saw like them on a court and I thought I don't know why I thought they already had the baby. <laughs> <laughs> so it happens when you don't actually watch. No, maybe you're right because uh, this they're expecting his second child, uh, him and his wife, Madison. So maybe you did see the first child, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, they had become parents back in September. So that's pretty quick, quick turnaround. Wow, yeah. Well, you know, I guess with the injury not playing tennis, he has a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> now he does. <laughs> <laughs> now he's changing diapers, I think. Yeah. Well, it's good. Uh, it's good rehab. And kind of a big stat for Big John, in early April, he actually became the fifth active player with 500 consecutive weeks in the top 50. He's in the company of Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Marin Cilic. So, I mean, to be able to play that kind of solid tennis and continue to win and stay in the top 50, that's pretty amazing. For sure. I mean, what other names What other names are on that list? Andy Murray's not even on that list. Right. Stan Wawrinka's not even on that list. Dimitrov. Yeah, I mean... Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of our of our slam winners. I'm actually surprised Marin Cilic is on that list, though, but that's kudos to him. Yeah. I didn't realize he was that consistent either. But you you feel like Cilic, at least uh, 2017, 18, he was almost always in the final. He yeah. was very close always, Yeah. right? Yeah, I didn't think Marin Cilic was that consistent 500 weeks ago. Yeah. How many he, years ago was that? 10? He definitely is under the radar. He's someone who really, you know, shows up and makes it happen and um, maybe just doesn't get enough love. But wow, what a consistent player. And and John Isner is right there with him. Yeah. I mean, those are two scary players. If I was a tennis player and as a Roger Federer fan, yeah. anytime they're in the draw, I'm shaking. Right. If the two other big players are servers, you know, Chilich and John Isner, it says a lot about the defenders, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, and Novak Djokovic. Yeah. Ah. Although I, I think that some would say that Roger Federer has the best serve in tennis. May not be a big server, but he's a spot server. And I think Djokovic has really come into his own in that sense as well yeah. of being kind of a really solid server. Not Sampras style for probably either one of them, but I'm sure they have great stats on holding serve. Well, I know that Roger Federer has now hit over 10,000 aces. And That's it? <laughs> Come on, Roger. Why are you slacking? 
<laughs> of course, he's famous for those, you know, one minute or less oh, games. Yes. Those are my favorite. The Fed signature games. Roger Federer service hold. Yeah, so he's he's up there definitely with Isner and the other giant giant server. Oh, Kevin Anderson or Ivo Karlovich? Ivo Karlovich, <laughs> Doctor Evo. Evo. There it is. Jinx. Come on, Siri. We're trying to work over here. <laughs> Uh, other notable injuries, sad to say, Simona Halep was out, but I think she's just coming back right now from injury, so it's good to see. I think she missed the uh, Porsche Open and uh, now is coming back, so welcome back, Simona. Yeah, I hope she can get well. I hope she doesn't come back too early because I, I really miss her when she's not playing. Apparently, she fell really bad during Fed Cup and she hurt her hip, so... She really needed to rest and recover for that. So unfortunately, she had to miss Stuttgart. Bummer. Yeah, but she's back. Uh, Madrid is right there, and she's expected to play. So well, she's exciting. back, but is she back? You know, that's sometimes the I question. sometimes I worry when people come back. Like, are they really are they really back, or are they just playing <laughs> to test it or something? You know. Yeah. I would love to see her play through the clay court, though. I mean, her game is really fun to watch on clay court. Yeah. And you had talked about Pliskova, my girl. I really love her because she's such an amazing server. I think she has served more aces than anyone on the tour. Yeah. That's how good she is. my girl Serena. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, she's had kind of some kind of viral illness, so she withdrew from Prague. And uh, hopefully, and she's actually really been struggling since Miami, I feel like. So she's been on antibiotics and we'll say, see what happens. Uh, she wasn't able to train in Stuttgart, so... You know, hopefully she'll get better soon, but yeah, we're going to miss her for sure. So those are all our notable injuries. Speaking of injuries, there's been some uh, ego injuries on the Pro Tour. Mr. Gimmelstab. Oh, gosh. Feeling quite injured, I'm sure, in, his, in the emotional department. Are we going there? I mean, should we? Wow. Okay. I mean, it's definitely big, big tennis news. Justin Gimmelstab. I actually met him one time. You did? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't pleasant, I have to say. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I was at a USPTA uh, conference at the Riviera in uh, California, a beautiful country club. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of felt very snubbed by him and uh, thought it was super weird. And then he was kind of like hitting on my friend who I brought. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, Philip, you rub elbows with the best of them. This isn't just some starstruck moment where you're misreading. I mean, I, I know that you go to these type of events and you I've, I see your pictures. You, Tommy Haas, James Blake, Andy Roddick, right? You get around. I mean, you were also just with like a Billie Jean King and Mary Carrillo and, and Martina Navratilova. Those are all dream these, moments, yeah. Well, they're dream moments, mm -hmm. but they all stayed dream moments yeah. because they all, you know, kind of uh, reciprocated respect with you. When there was an interaction, correct? So well, like, I, I mean, I wouldn't say they respect me because they don't even know who I am. But they, they respected you as a person as a because person. they didn't treat you yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, less than. Right. right. I mean, they didn't snub you. Right. Um, and I did feel, yeah, kind of snubbed by him. And, you know, sa sad to say um, that he has now gone into the le this legal battle and, and actually pled no contest to this terrible assault that uh, happened on Halloween. So strange. He was actually dressed as like a Top Gun fighter. I don't know if it was a Halloween costume or something pathological. <laughs> but I don't know what was going on. But apparently he attacked um, a very wealthy investor. And I don't know any what's the relationship between them, but his name was Randall Kaplan. And he attacked him and 
according to the victim, Mr. Kaplan, he was hit 50 times and that Gimmelstop said, I'm going to kill you. And uh, it was in the presence of children. Yeah, Kaplan's children, I believe. Kaplan's right? children, yeah. his wife, Kaplan's wife was pregnant at the time and just a horrible, horrible situation. And what makes a person hit someone once, let alone 50 times? Even, yeah. if, even if it wasn't 50, it was 40 you know, that's even pretty like 10. I feel like, you know, you hit someone a couple times and then you move on with your life. Right. If you're going to, I do well, not condone do. hitting. I don't even kill flies. I relocate spiders. However, Aww, so cute. If, if you are, let's say even in self-defense in the most admirable position you could possibly be, or, you know, to justify your means for being physical with yeah. another human, yeah. uh, what constitutes hitting them that many times? That's a lot. That's pretty excessive. Very excessive. And what was strange was just days after that on TMZ, they caught up with him and they asked him, you know, are you violent? And he said very clearly, I am not violent. So that video is up there yeah. talking about that. And I think you got to be kind of violent to hit someone, you know, multiple times. I'm not sure. Yeah, unless you just bottle up. Maybe he's never been violent and he had years and years of pent up something and he just unleashed and couldn't stop. I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know, you know, all of that, but it's definitely interesting. Um, I guess what makes it interesting is it's not so much that he was such a great tennis player, right? I mean, he did get as high as number 63 in the ATP, and that says a lot. I mean, he definitely put his time on the tour. And but there are hundreds of other tennis players, you know, that made the tour and we don't know their names off the top of our head. The only reason that this is so important is that he was actually on the ATP Players Council and he also had a contract and was doing media uh, for ATP. And you often saw him as a celebrity interviewer on the ATP and tennis uh, channel and all of that. So. This is more about his celebrity and and kind of mishandling that, I think. Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess he was convicted and and resigned. Right. I mean, he pled no contest uh, to battery charges, um, and I guess he received um, three years probation and 60 days community service here in the great city of Los Angeles. Oh, yes, right in our backyard. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. So, yeah, really sad, sad news for um, the Kaplan family and hope that they recover well. And there was a pretty big uproar about this. I mean, we're on the outside. We don't know what's happening yeah. in the ATP, but obviously a lot of people were tweeting and and people came to his support. I know that I think Gimmelstad was working with Isner for a while. Mm-hmm. And so obviously John texted some information about being supportive for Justin, but wow, a lot of people actually came out uh, against uh, him saying not so much him personally, but hey, if this is a crime, we need to do something about it. Some of the people- Get him off the board. Yeah. Yeah. Andy Murray was most notable and had talked about it. Uh, Emily Moresmo came out to speak against him as well. Martina Navratilova. I mean, those were just a few of the tweets and, and statements that were against Gimmelstop. Not surprising either. They're often outspoken um, for women's rights or just, you know, ethical treatment of people and animals. Just kidding. I threw in the animal thing as a proud PETA member. So <laughs> Maybe the, the, the game changer was Stan Warwinka. Oh, uh, yeah. And you wouldn't think that Stan, you know, being Swiss, he would be neutral, right? But he really came out strong, and I think it just 
was a couple of days after this um, sentencing, he tweeted something that I thought was pretty strong. So this is what Stan said. It simply cannot be possible for anyone to condone this type of behavior and worse, support it. In any other business or sport, we would not be discussing this. The ATP Council needs to do something about this and finally end this conversation and shameful period in our great sport. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, not not a surprising statement to me. I mean, good for Stan, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Good on Stan. I think it was great, and I think a lot of fans were discussing this, and, you know, uh, it's time to take action, and this is, I think, a great statement. Speaking of uh, Gimmelstab, uh resigning from the ATP Board of Directors, um, equally shaking up in the tennis world, and this actually was kind of happening in Indian Wells when we were there. Yeah. Um, because I remember seeing the headline that Roger and Rafa were getting coffee together, and I was all thinking how cute and exciting, but I didn't realize they were actually having a very serious conversation regarding the future of tennis and whose hands is it in. Recently, the president, Mr. Novak Djokovic, and his team of the player council voted out the ATP chief executive. Uh, executive chairman and president Thank of you. the ATP. Yeah, Chris <laughs> Commode, exactly. Yeah. And um, he had been serving for five years, and a lot of people, I think, thought that he was doing really good. Yeah, I think he had like a record numbers. Um, the growth of the sport and the prize money had never been so high. So it was I guess, you know, to some people kind of shocking. Yeah, very shocking. And it's uh, it speaks a little to, you know, it's kind of like bubbling uh, to the surface, this idea of the conflict between the players and the tournaments mm -hmm. and how the ATP uh, executive chairman and president really has to manage both the players and the tournament when there's kind of a conflict of interest on both sides. So it is a very tenuous situation. Apparently, Chris Commode, did really well. I'm not sure why Novak was so against it. And apparently Novak and Justin Gimmelstop actually kind of initiated this whole ousting of Chris Kermode. So it really puts a wrench in their plans, obviously, with Gimmelstop having to resign because of violent behavior. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and the more that, you know, I kind of, we pulled the thread on this story, there's so many underlying like sub stories that were going on, you know, with the player council board actually voted 50 50. I think they were they were split on whether or not he should be in or out. And, you know, with Roger and Rafa being openly against it, but they were never reached out to. And I saw an interview that Djokovic said, hey, the you know, the phone, he didn't say it literally, I'm not quoting verbatim, uh, but he was like basically saying the phone works two ways and they could have contacted me if they had such strong opinions. Uh, but I did then read <laughs> that Roger did try to contact him, but uh, Djokovic people said he couldn't fit him in his schedule. And then uh, Rafa openly admitted that he did not reach out, but he said his phone never rang. And he thought, you know, with him and Roger being such a big part of the sport, you know, Nadal was pretty clear about saying he, he thought that they should have been reached out to, mm. you know, because the whole player council is there for the players. Mm. And uh, we're talking about two of the most influential players in the history of our sport. Yeah. 
Um, not that Djokovic isn't either, but I mean, I don't know from an outsider's perspective, I'm not in with them. You're not just, Djokovic's best friend. I'm not out any of theirs. I mean, me and Roger, we go way back, but he always forgets he knows me every time I see him. So <laughs> it's kind of like disheartening. Um, and Rafa just speaks Spanish to me. I can't understand him. Yeah, it's cool. I can't understand his English. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that one's a low blow. Um, no, Rafa, your English is so good now. It's way better than my Spanish has ever been. So that was. Uh, I love the Mallorcan accent. It's so <laughs> unique. It's very, very different. It's good. Well, they have the Castaic background in the the dialect there, right? So it's just a little different. It is. It's I, definitely different. I could be totally wrong. Yeah. I know nothing. All I all I know is that um, I find it interesting, like uh, from our perspective, like Rafa and Roger, player favorite, like historic votes, right? Like the players love these guys. Um, they're just really revered in the locker room, and um, and and I just uh, maybe it's just my fandom. I'm I have a skewed perception, but I have to feel like everything that. Kermode did for the growth of the game and the prize money going up. You know, I, I'm, I can't wait to see what happens to see like, what was the angle? What is it that Djokovic and Gimmelstab were trying to change? Sure. Um, what would they accomplish? If it's and, not and broke, the next like step? why well, fix it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, may, it just makes you wonder about Djokovic's leadership. And, you know, I have no idea what's happening on the player council. As like you said, we're still on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's Although, like snowing out here. That's yeah. how outside we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And and I don't know if this if there's any validity to this. I couldn't find any articles, um, like written facts about this. However, I remember hearing um, on the Tennis Channel, like an interview uh, months ago, that actually part of uh, the movement was that Djokovic um, was interested in better payouts for the lower-ranked players. Mm-hmm. You know, for the players who are out of the top 20, 30, who are struggling just to stay on the tour yeah. because their their prize money is 20000 a tournament and then Djokovic and Federer and Nadal are winning $2 million a tournament or whatever. Um, I, I thought I remembered something along those lines, which I thought if that is what truly is part of it, I, then that's very noble of Djokovic to want to share the love with the lower-ranked journeymen who are sacrificing so much of their time and money but not reaping a lot of the benefits. Well, you're hoping that uh, there is some kind of trickle down because it is incredibly impossible to be on the tennis tour. I mean, we always I always meet people who are who are hopefuls in the juniors and stuff and I just think, wow, that is such a hard life because really unless you're in the top 200 and you have some kind of sponsorship, you really are not even breaking even, not not even just making money. You're yeah. not even breaking even. It's true. How do you pay for a coach? How do you pay for plane flights plane tickets, and hotels, hotels and all shoes. of that stuff? Well, I guess the sponsorship might, would cover shoes, apparel, and your rackets. If you get a sponsorship. Get, yeah, I mean, exactly. there are people like Simona Halep who was out of a sponsorship for a while, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. world number one. So I think it's not as easy to, to make it all happen. And I don't know. I feel like if... Djokovic, Federer, Nadal really cared that much about all the smaller players. And I'm sure they do. I'm sure they care a lot. But, you know, they could easily, like, donate money or set up a foundation or yeah. make, you know, scholarships available and stuff. And maybe that happens. Maybe I need to do a little more research to find out. But I think the question is, who is making the money in this whole situation? So the tournaments right now are making the majority of the money and the players are getting some of that and that's the tension. Yes. So I think, the, of course, the board is saying, well, the tournaments should pay more so that they support the players, which is respectable. We totally get that. 
So is that going to happen? And now what's going to happen with Chris Commode out? Who's going to take his place? What's Djokovic's plan? I think we're all waiting to see. Yeah, I wonder if uh, Gimmelstab was Djokovic's plan <laughs> before any of that happened. Wow, that's you know, an interesting thought. What if they were thought. talking and they yeah. were like, oh, we get him out, Gimmelstab in? Yeah. No, I, who knows? I'm totally speculating, people. Don't take my madness for any worth. Well, it's our podcast. We get to speculate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and sometimes you just got to say weird stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's, it's a very interesting thought. <laughs> Tennisconspiracies.com. Yes. <laughs> And we'll never know, right? Because Gimmelstab's going to be taking a vacation for a while. (laughs) I mean, really, in so many ways, he is, like, privileged that he's not actually going to jail. Right? Right? He's just on... I have to imagine that's because Kaplan's not pressing charges, or is it really just that... Is it really just... I don't want to get too political or about illegal this, but because we're not attorneys. Yeah, but it just drives me crazy how you see, you know. I mean, this is the, a criminal case. The white case. privilege, the rich privilege, the sure. the all of that, you know. Yeah. If this if this happened with any other person, you know, I, I don't know, but um I do feel passionately against all of all of this stuff when I read, you know, mm. if it was a if it was an African American football player, you know, well, I don't know. Then they might have the rich privilege at that point, right? But there's always like something. Yeah, look at look at James Blake. He he just <laughs> he got arrested just for looking black in New York. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I See, mean, it happens. That stuff pisses me off. Oh, but yeah. uh, I find it weird that you can assault someone so so heavily and be convicted, and and you don't do anything like that's a violent crime but someone who has like a possession of marijuana is going to go to jail yeah Eh, whatever we have a messed up legal system (laughs) to say the (laughs) least however also in the same note we live in a great country with a lot of freedoms and things that you know we're lucky to have so um, I'm gonna say that overall I'm not complaining I'm blessed and happy to be a part part of a and I think to this. Stan Warinka's credit and to make his point again, it's like, why did this stuff even touch tennis? And that's, that's you know, the, the beauty of the sport is is lost when something like this happens and it just makes us look ugly. So, you know, let's keep it clean, yeah, it people. is a gentleman's sport, right? I mean... It's supposed to be. Yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be. But then also, I guess in the same in the same sense, you see a lot of people acting out like on the tennis court. Well, you don't see... 50 blows on the tennis court, thankfully. You don't see 50, but, you know, I did see Djokovic hit Roger in the back with a tennis ball once, and I was ready to... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just funning. (laughs) You're ready to take him down. Although there actually are people, there are players who have had controversial where you're at the net and and you're going to hit... Instead of hitting a passing shot, you go right at the player. Yeah. And there's been some, you know, controversial... Was it Ilya Nastasi who who used to do that? Well, Lendl. Oh, was Lendl. Famous okay. for attacking the person at the net. Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of like if you're on court, you're making yourself available. Keep your racket covering your face and, and your or other or areas. Or other areas yeah. might be more important. Yeah, for sure. For the men. Yeah, one of my favorites though is I, I can't even remember his name. Like he would go over and knock Nadal's bottles down. Oh my God! I want to look that up. <laughs> I would. Okay, first of all, you should be like. Points should be taken away for unsportsmanship. <laughs> However, in the same tone, 
that person should be patted on the back. That's hilarious. <laughs> just for the sake of comedy. It's <laughs> terrible. It's so terrible. But, I mean, he was just trying to mess with an adult during a match. I mean, talk about unsportsmanlike. I wonder who that would be. It seems like a – actually, honestly, it seems like a Fonini type of thing to do, but it's, <laughs> it probably really wasn't. No, uh, I'll – We'll have to Google that. Yeah. <laughs> it was Lucas Rasal. Wow, okay, that, he did beat him on grass. Yeah. <laughs> what Did he do it that day he beat him, or he did it no, another I time? No, it was another time, yeah. I, I was curious now if he did it before he beat him or after he beat him. Yeah, I've, I've just heard that, you know, a lot of people <laughs> have a problem with Rizal, that, that that's a thing. But I just thought that was crazy that he would knock down his bottles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's our report this episode, Valerie. Are we done? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. My butt hurts. These plastic chairs suck, so yeah. I'm ready to stand up. Yeah, it's time definitely to listen to our fan favorite reporters share their incredible passion about their favorite players, and you've heard enough of us, but it was so fun hanging with you, Valerie. Thank you so much for making time and joining me on the Tennis Pal Chronicles podcast. We're such a great team together. Yes. Fist bump. Fist pump. Boom. And unfortunately... Everyone's going to have to hear a little bit more of me in the fan favorite report section. But I'm really excited to hear all the other reports as well because it's it seems like it's been so long. It really has, yeah. And shout out to Tennis Pal. We thank you so much for your support and for supporting this podcast. And we just want to encourage you guys to go to TennisPal.com. Check out the great tennis videos that they have there as well. They have a lot of coaching and learning videos. There's a great community of players, and you could message and find a player in your area as well. So TennisPal.com, download it on iTunes or Android platform. And it has so many things to offer, you know, like Philip said, with the videos um, to help you improve your game. And if, uh, if you don't have, like I don't have the money for a personal tennis coach, um, so I certainly can use these videos to help improve my game. And when I think of Richard Williams, who produced two of the greatest champions our sport has ever seen, just by reading a book and watching videos. So, I mean, there's something to be said about what you can learn from this app. And also, my favorite part, actually, is more the connection with the other tennis fans, people I can find in my area very easily to go play with. Yeah, Valerie, actually, I just met uh, a guy about three weeks ago. His name's Hugo. And Hugo has now joined our little community of tennis players in my city, and he uh, hits with us, and I met him through Tennis Pal app, so it was really awesome. Love it. It's a great way to connect. So encourage you to go to TennisPal.com, check it out, and please download the app. There's also a lot of great content on the website as well. If you know anyone who's interested in sponsoring this podcast as well as the website, we have some sponsorship information we want to share with you. So please send us an email to pk at TennisPalApp.com, and we'll get that information out to you. So let's listen to our fan favorite reporters now. Yay. Hey guys, it's Crystal, back with another fan favorite report for Stefanos Tsitsipas. Stefanos, after the Sunshine Double, took a break where he went to visit one of his favorite islands, Anigada. We saw this through the vlogs and on his Instagram stories and on Twitter where he was sharing his mini holiday with us. He went alone and he seemed to enjoy himself. As we know, Stefanos likes his own company, so that was great for him. He recharged and when he came back, his first tournament was Monte Carlo, which is the first Masters on the clay. Sadly, he didn't get very far and he ended up losing to Daniel Medvedev. 
The week after, he was in Barcelona, where he sadly again lost his truth in the very early rounds. This week, he is playing in Estoril, Portugal, where he's the number one seed. He has an easy side of the draw, but he has a potential to meet David Goffin in the semi-finals if they both make it that far. So it's going to be an interesting week for Stefanos. He has a bye in the first round. Hopefully that gives him time to practice and have enough time to recharge and be ready for those tough matches ahead. But wishing him luck and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Hi, Tennis Pal Chronicle listeners. This is Peter with your update for Andy Murray. Andy's hotel, Cromlicks, was just awarded the Luxury Country House Hotel of the Year. It has 15 luxurious bedrooms and is a five-star destination where you can book an afternoon tea or even have your wedding there at the on-site chapel. I've always wanted to go stay at this beautiful hotel, and I hope I get the chance to visit Scotland sometime soon. On his Instagram stories this past Tuesday, during a match in the Barcelona Open, Andy was watching with his three-year-old daughter, Sofia. He stated, Just watching some of the Barcelona tournament on the TV with my daughter. Daddy, do you like orange tennis? Sofia asked. To which Andy replied, Mmm, not really, Poppet. Daddy, you're rubbish at orange tennis, Sofia declared, while Andy's wife, Kim, defended his clay court skills, stating, Actually, Daddy's quite good at orange. I'm guessing little Sophia has seen his clay court win-loss record in comparison to hard and grass, as she, just a three-year-old, replied, No, Daddy's rubbish at orange tennis. Andy concluded, Bit harsh, but she's got a point. It's great to see an insight to what his family life is like, and it's so cute that he calls his daughter Poppet. It's also hilarious to see Sophia have some of the characteristic banter Andy displays to his fellow tourmates. For the first time ever, tennis is probably more of a distraction from my home life than the other way around, Andy told BBC Sports in 2018. Beforehand, in the build-up to a slam final, I'd always be thinking about that match. I don't feel like that just now. I'm just looking forward to the next time I see Sophia and Kim. One of the things that I would like to do is play until my eldest daughter is able to watch me and have a small understanding of ways I've done for my living. He added, that's one of the things that's motivated me to keep playing. That would be cool if she can come along and watch me hit some balls or practice just to see what it is I do. It would be great to see Andy play on grass, a better surface for his daughters to watch him on as he's won Wimbledon twice. Whatever he does after Wimbledon, I just know that he'll be happy with Kim and his two daughters. I'm at peace with that now. I hope the rest of his fans are too. Metro UK reporter George Belshaw interviewed Amelie Moresmo, Andy's former coach, as she is the official starter for the World Para Athletics Marathon Championships and Elite Women's Race at the London Marathon this past weekend, with Andy opening the Elite Men's Race. Moresmo commented on how he was doing, stating, Obviously, you want to choose when you stop your career as a professional athlete, but he seems to be okay. If it's not the case, kind of, and he's interested in so many other things, doing already a lot of other stuff, having a family and everything, so I'm not worried for him. He will switch to something else if he has to, but I also know if he chooses to try and play again, he will also give 100% 
to try and be competitive again. Asked if she sensed in Melbourne that a part of him still believed he could come back, she added, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amelie said, as we all know, he's a fighter, he's always been a big fighter out there, and he will, I think, he will give it a shot. I think for him it was pretty tough. Every second of your day, doing sport or not, you have a big pain somewhere in your body. It's something that really, even more as a professional athlete, gets into your head. Probably he's a bit relieved with already being pain-free. That's already a big step. A few weeks ago, we saw Andy just hitting some balls against a wall. Andy Murray, as quoted from the BBC, stated, I've been hitting a few balls from a stationary position. I'm still quite a long way from testing it properly, running around the court. I don't feel any pressure that I need to come back and play again. If my body feels good and pain-free, I will give it a go. It's so good to hear the hip surgery recovery is going well. Andy said, It is really good, actually. I'm just a bit weak from where I got cut on the side of my leg for the operation. I am doing well. I am happy. I am pain-free and enjoying my life. While Andy was at the marathon in London, Andy's mom, Judy Murray, was doing Kilt Walk in Scotland, which is either a 15 or the 23-mile Mighty Strides Walk for charity. And finally on Facebook, Andy posted about the London Marathon. Saying he felt inspired, he captioned it, what a morning. It was an honor to start the London Marathon yesterday and send all the runners on their way. A huge congratulations to everyone that took part. I hope you're all recovering well today. Andy is such an inspiration to so many people, and it's great to see Andy do so much to support other sports, including cheering on the Fed Cup team, as they recently just won and were promoted to the World Group 2. I hope to see Andy Murray on the court soon so we can cheer him on too. Thank you, Tennis Pal Chronicle listeners. This has been your Andy Murray fan update from me, Peter Childs, also known as Tagai84 on Twitter. Hey everyone, it's Valerie with your fan fave report on Serena Williams. Wow, it seems like forever since the last time we did this. So let's start with tennis. Maybe you already know, but Williams has not played in about five and a half weeks since withdrawing from her third round match at the Miami Open in March with a previously undisclosed left knee injury. She also skipped Rome this year, a tournament she hasn't played in since winning her fourth title at the clay court event in 2016. But Serena fans can smile now as she is set to return from injury at the upcoming Italian Open, which starts May 12th. Now on to her personal life the stuff you tend not to hear so much about on the Tennis Channel or ESPN. Recently in April, Serena Williams finally sold her Bel Air home. After listing it 18 months ago, the house finally sold for $8.1 million. She originally asked $12 million for the home when it was listed in October of 2017. It was last put on the market in January for $9.9 million, according to public listing records. Although the home sold for less than its asking price, it was not a loss for Williams as she purchased the home in 2006 for $6.6 million, under a trust with her sister, Lindrea Price, as the trustee. Serena is still living in Los Angeles with her husband, Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian, and their daughter. And this wouldn't be a proper Serena report without discussing fashion. So, last week, Serena headlined at BOF West. BOF West is an event for the business of fashion, West Coast. 
During Serena's interview at BOF, she talked about many of her ventures outside of tennis. Considering this was a fashion event, she obviously talked about her clothing line S by Serena. However, she shared a lot of the reasoning behind her decisions. Like, for example, how she was advised to name her brand Serena Williams, because that's what everyone in fashion does. But she explained that that idea just didn't fit for her. She wanted a freestanding company that was a lifestyle and product that was about more than just herself. Currently, it's S by Serena, but she intends to drop the by Serena someday and just be known as S. S focuses on women's apparel. However, Serena did say she plans to grow the business into the other product, especially baby apparel. She's really excited about that right now. Pretty sure you can guess why. One of the things I also learned from this interview that I didn't previously know is that Serena actually started her own venture firm called Serena Ventures in 2014. Serena has more than 30 investments in her portfolio and has purposely kept quiet about this venture as she wanted to get a firm grip and solid portfolio together first. Serena Ventures focuses on funding women and people of color. In her interview, she shared that when she started this, less than 2% of funding was going to women and people of color. And of that 2%, only 0.2% was to people of color. In Serena's interview, she also said her parents always told her, tennis is great, but always have something else, like a backup plan. The interviewer asked Serena if all this extra entrepreneurial activity of late was related to preparation for retirement. Serena responded, let's not talk about that. I love what I do, I love playing tennis. And then she went on to jokingly say that she maybe would stop playing tennis in like 20 or 30 years. So that's definitely good to hear. She intends to keep playing for us Serena fans and bad to hear for everyone else that plays tennis professionally. So that's it for me. Can't wait to talk to you guys again next month after we have some clay court stuff to wrap up. Have a good one. So the view here for me and PK watching uh, Gael Monfils up five love in the first set against Albert Ramos Vinolas is beautiful. There's a beautiful mountain skyline with palm trees and this gorgeous stadium and it's just so nice. The stadium has since filled out, right? Before, before we started, there was no one here. Now we're like tucked away in the corner, like whispering. And uh, before we started, it was overcast and now the sun is beating down on us but uh, it's a beautiful day to be here with you Philip. I love being here with you Valerie and I would say that's one of the things that if you're coming to Indian Wells to prepare for is it is blazing hot during the day and freezing cold at night so the temperature because it's in the desert it really changes very dramatically so you have to think layers and you know make sure that you bring a different change. I think this year it was the coldest that it's been in a very long time from what I understand. So, um, yeah, I would just encourage you just to make sure that you bring lots of changes of clothes because uh, it'll get in the high 90s, sometimes hundreds uh, in the day and sometimes even in the evening. But then um, late at night, uh, it'll cool down. We're, we're, wasn't I with you when we were watching Serena a couple of years ago and it was like over 100 and we were up in the stands? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were roasting. That's the other thing you got to bring when you come here is a ton of like like a hat or sunscreen or something to cover your face so it doesn't roast off. Yeah, it's it can be crazy. And uh, they have such great food here. They have uh, really expanded all of the food culinary. It made me think of a bagel because he just bageled him. <laughs> but I know you love those pretzels. I've had three today, Philip. I'm not proud of it. It's a problem. I need a program. Carbolicious. <laughs> Very cool. 
Yeah, they have Nobu. They have so many great restaurants here. Even the, the hamburger that I usually eat, which I think, unfortunately, is $17, but it's a phenomenal burger uh, that I enjoy um, having every year. And, yeah, they have a lot of great food selections here. Well, the noise is back on, so I'm, we're going to cut this really short and maybe move to another location. But we're excited to bring this to you live here from Indian Wells. This is definitely an, uh, a, a tournament that you need to come and visit because it's one of the best experiences, and it brings out tennis passion in you. Yes. it's uh, If you're thinking of which tournament to go to, this has to be up there on your list. And uh, you can count us, your Tennis Pal Chronicle tour guide. If you want to contact us, we'd love to be that, there for you. If you're ever deciding to come to Indian Wells and you have a ton of questions, please email us. We'd love to talk to you about it. So up next, we're going to have our fan favorite reporters talking about the wonderful tournament that's been happening here and also the rest of the uh, season that's been going on right now. So stick, to, so stick around for that. Yes, can't wait to hear those reports. They're the best. And actually, um, I can already just say that my report's not going to be that great because we're in the third round and Serena just lost yesterday. So my report's not going to be that, you know, upbeat, but that's okay. Yeah, it was kind of a strange medical condition for Serena. I think she was uh, 04, was it? And I don't know because I didn't watch. I was actually driving out here when she played. But I thought I saw that she lost like 6-1 and she was down 1-0 when she retired. She has some sort of virus is what I read. But, I, you know, I wouldn't quote me on that. Yeah, I was, in, I was actually in that match watching. And it was so interesting because every so often she would hit a winner but not move. And it just showed you how great her hand skills were because she was not moving well at all. But she would smack the ball, hit a winner, and you're like, okay, she's fine. And then other times um, somebody, uh, Muguruza, was hitting in the ball, and she would just not move at all. So you knew something was wrong. Uh, she was kind of rubbing her shoulder a lot, so I didn't know if it was that. But uh, they just called time, so that's it for us. Thanks for listening, guys. Yay, bye.